0: Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Well, we're into week five, uh, our series Built to Last. And if you have missed any of the other four previous ones, you can go on to our website. We have a podcast for it, so there's many ways to find it. But if you go to citylifewa.com, you can see those. I do appreciate, I will say this, thank you for those who have come and talked to me one-on-one or sent me a text or email to say how much they've appreciated different segments of this so far, and I do appreciate that. It means a lot to me that there's something there that has meant something to you or helped you in your walk with the Lord of building your life so that it will last and so built to last, and so this is, we're continuing on in this, uh, and we're going to try to cover three more today, so I'm going to try to do the best I can to get through these, and uh, it's funny because my sound tech guys are overloaded with slides, and they ask me, are you going to get through all those today? And actually, I have the last couple weeks, so that's the plan today, so appreciate your being with me on this process, and anytime, too, if anybody, you have any questions about anything, certainly... You can contact me in regards to that, and maybe have further discussion, because I'm just kind of hitting highlights on some of these things. But Lord, I just pray right now as we look into Your Word. Uh, Lord, I love Your Word. Your Word is constant, and it's it's the stability for us, God. That we we know that our anchor is in You. It's in Your Word, God, and it never uh, it it won't fail us. It won't trip us up. It's a pathway that we can put our feet and know that we have sure footing and a sure foundation in your word. So we thank you for that. I, I do want to thank you for that, especially this morning, that your word and it is so good. It's so good. And I, I pray for each person here today that whatever it is that we need to receive from you, that you would download that to us today or upload it, whatever that means. <laughs> in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 The first word or the first thing that I want to talk about this morning that can become a wall for us, become something that can block being built to last is religiosity. Interesting word, religion, religiosity. And I think about that and basically it's practicing religion by the law and not under grace. We can get very stuck in religion or religiosity and that's not the heart of God. Some believers can get caught up in the letter of the law and that can happen easily, but it doesn't allow for grace to be released because we kind of close that door off for grace. Harsh words of correction can come at times when people make mistakes or condemnation can be spoken over a person's life because of our concept or our thought that we need to be hard-lined on this, we need to be, because it becomes religious to us, a religiosity gets put into our life. Somebody may have a different belief system than you, and you can be judgmental toward them because you feel like you have all the answers. We need to release grace. Now, there's a whole segment I'm not going to this morning. Recently, I've had conversations about this, but really the balance of truth and grace. Mm -hmm. But grace is so important to us. You know, somebody can ask the question, oh, what religion do you practice? You could be asked that question sometimes if they find out, like Julie's telling us this story, being a Christian. My answer, a lot of times to the people, they say, are you religious or what religion do you practice? I say, I don't practice religion. I practice relationship. <laughs> it's about relationship with my creator. And that's what's meaningful to me. It's not the religious stuff. It's not all of those things. A religious spirit can breed judgment. A judgment spirit. A spirit of judgment can come. And we can be very judgmental, so we have to be careful of that. The longer that we are Christians, it seems like we become more susceptible to having a religious spirit because we can get so locked into things and, and we isolate ourselves from what God's plan was for us when we said yes to Him to be our Lord and Savior. We'll talk more about that in a minute. We can easily forget where we came from, that moment. That moment. Where we had that aha moment with Christ. Some of you know who Mark Estes is. He's the lead pastor for, used to be City Bible, but it's now called Mana House down in Portland. But he was here speaking several years ago at our church. And he shared this story about when he went in to speak at a church that he hadn't been to before. They didn't, I mean, obviously the pastor knew him, people didn't know who he was. But he decided to do a little test. So when he arrived at the church and he came in the front door, like anyone would come in the front door, he dressed himself up and changed his look to make himself look like somebody who was not a desirable person to be around. So he had put on this fake beard and kind of long hair and this hat and um, just scruffy looking. And he, he came in the front church, came in and just sat in the back. Nobody really paid any attention to him, nobody greeted him, nobody really made him feel anything other than who's this person sitting in our church. The shocking part was when the pastor invited the special speaker to come up and share and preach <laughs> up he comes and walks up to the front and he said to look on people's faces <laughs> to see me walk up and see we get so into religiosity we get so into judgment that we miss this whole grace part and what the whole objective of what Why we're here. Let's look in a couple verses in the Bible. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read verse 9 because it's not on the screen. But this was basically as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me and be my disciple. He said this to Matthew. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. All right, pick it up, verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Hmm. That means they were all in that category. But when the Pharisees saw this, this were the religious people of the day, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Wow, that's judgmental, isn't it? That's pretty harsh. They're asking his disciples. And of course, Jesus being Jesus, he heard this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Yeah. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. And you know what? He's referring to Hosea 6.6. 6. Jesus is, is remembering. This is where God is asking Israel to show, it says to show love, but if you, the Greek definition of that word is mercy. So God is asking Israel, show mercy. And he tells him, he said, not offer sacrifices. And God goes on to say, I want you to know me more than I want your sacrifice. Yes. Wow. It's about relationship. It really is. It's not about what we do, the rituals, the sac- all those things. And those things were good. And there, there was a place for those things. But God ultimately, through all that stuff, he said, no, I just want relationship." It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about all those things. But this was something that Jesus had to really pound on. (laughs) In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 1, I want to read it from the message version. One Sabbath, Jesus was strolling with his disciples through a field of ripe grain. Hungry, the disciples were pulling off the heads of grain and munching on them. And I was just thinking about, really? (laughs) I was just thinking how dry that would be. I don't know, just my mind went there. I thought back when I was a kid when... I think my brother took, you know how that long grass with all the things on the end of it, whatever you call those, seeds or whatever? I remember telling me, sticking it in my mouth and telling me to close my mouth tight on it and and pulling it out like that and all that stuff. That's what I thought of when the disciples were munching on that. Anyway, I just had this picture. They were munching on the heads of grain. Some Pharisees reported them to Jesus. Your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rules. Jesus said, really? (laughs) Didn't you ever read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? How they entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar? Bread that no one but priests were allowed to eat? And didn't you ever read in God's law that priests carrying out their temple duties break Sabbath rules all the time and it's not held against them? There is far more at stake here than religion. If you had any idea what the scripture meant, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. This is powerful stuff. You wouldn't be nitpicking like this. The son of man is no lackey to the Sabbath. He's in charge. He's setting the rules here. He's saying, no, no, we're not doing this religiosity thing. We're not doing this stuff. It's about relationship here. He's coming in pretty strong on this. Then we go to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Another Sabbath day. Here we are. Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. Well, that's pretty cool because Jesus went there. We don't tend to do that. And the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. Interesting because Jesus is, he's shredding a religious spirit here. He's just, he's going after this thing because it's very evident and very obvious. It was prevalent in the Pharisees' lives. And today, because you might say, oh, those Pharisees, those horrible people, I will tell you that that it creeps into the church. That's right. <laughs> and that, that Pharisaical attitude and spirit is alive and well in the church. I'm just saying in the church, not City Life Church per se. The church, though, in, in America, it's there. All you have to do, and I referred to this last week, but you turn on something, watch YouTube, put your computer on and watch something like the fantastic thing that's happening that I was talking about last week with Kanye West, there's a pharisaical attitude that creep that just comes yelling out from Christians to judge. Come on, that that is not who we are. Does he need that from us? No. He needs encouragement. So when we're able to break that wall down, that religiosity, then we become free to live under grace, free to live under grace. And what that is, is unmerited divine assistance given man for his regeneration or sanctification, a virtue coming from God. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's one I learned many years ago, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And grace is an unbelievable gift that has been given to everyone. It's made available to everyone. Do we all use it? Do we all practice that? When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are transformed from guilt to grace. We have to get out of that guilt mode, accept the grace that's been given to us. We need to demonstrate to others that very grace that's been given to us by Jesus Christ. He's given us that grace, and that's what we need to do. We need to, it's been afforded to us. We need to afford that to others. If Christianity was all about keeping laws and rules, we would all be guilty, And we'd have to be locked up because we break those. It can't be about laws and rules. It has to be about relationship. And if we don't have our relationship right, then we find ourselves come into that category of religiosity. The chains of guilt and condemnation have been broken off. Every believer, you have to accept that. The song that we sang about shame, all of those things have been broken. It was God's goodness that brought us to that place of repentance. It was His goodness. It wasn't his frustration or anger. It was his goodness. His love is overwhelming, and his grace is so abundant for us. John chapter 1, verse 14. Well, first, before that, if we know John 1, 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. (laughs) And the word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, Jesus Christ. It blows our mind, but he already existed. So then we see in verse 14, so the word became human, came Jesus, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking to you about when I said someone's coming after me who is far more greater than I, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and his faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. It's an assignment. Paul knew this. took this on. Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet... God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. There's a key word, in his sight. Why is it in our sight? We look at things and we judge things through our sight. And we come up with our conclusions. He's already said in his sight, which is the only sight that counts, he's made us free. We become free. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's why I love the Bible, (laughs) because it brings us back into alignment. The next thing I want to talk about is excuses, excuses, a self-justifying explanation of a fault or defect, a lame reason not to do something. We have excuses for everything. There will always be reasons in our life that we will make an excuse for something, that we don't pursue our full commitment to Christ or we don't pursue a commitment that we maybe have made. We say, my children are too young, my job's too stressful, too demanding, my animals need all my attention, my schoolwork is too hard, my yard is overgrown, my wife is too cranky, my husband yells at me. (laughs) We can find all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses. Well, no, not my wife, of course. All these excuses so that we're not effective for Christ and devoting ourselves to, to God. There's a return of abundance that comes when we sacrifice in the sense of doing what God's called us to do. You know, there's this story of Moses. Most of us know about Moses. And he was the one when God said, hey, Moses, I want you to lead Israel. He's like, who, me? Uh, uh, No. And so God has to go through this process because he's making one excuse after another. He goes, well, what do you have in your hand? And he had the shepherd's staff. He threw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, it turned into a snake. Moses reacts, jumps back. Whoa, what was that? He says, now pick it up by the tail. He picks it up, it turns back into a staff. Well, you can use that to prove my power. Moses, you want to do that. But if you need more, then stick your hand in your jacket. He sticks his hand in there, pulls it out. It's got like white uh, disease all over his hand. Whoa, stick it back in. He sticks it in, pulls it out. It's perfectly normal. Wow, pretty cool. And so there's this process that God's going. He's like, I- I'm going to keep showing you stuff. And you, you need to understand how this works but even if those two don't work then why don't you take a jug of water from the Nile River pour it out on the ground and when you pour it out it turns into blood. Oh. Okay God. Wow, you're powerful. And then Moses finally goes, "But I don't even know how to talk." He just all these excuses, you know, you can't pull that on God. He's got the next answer. He's got Eventually he says, "Well then, cuz he's like, okay, I'll kind of play along with Moses, so I'm just going to I'm going to take Aaron. Hey, he's going to be your voice." Okay? Take him along even though God knows he doesn't need Aaron because Aaron doesn't turn out to be the best friend when he needed him the most, when he turned that golden calf. But so you've got, whatever Moses had was all God needed. Moses didn't believe it. God knew it. But God, sometimes he allows us, okay, well, I'll play that with you. But he tells us and he gives us something to do in an assignment. And he says, you're equipped. You say, but I need this, I need that. And what he's basically asking, well, what do you have in your hand? I just have a dollar. That's all I need. Oh, I only have this educate. That's all I need but I really don't know how to talk to people. That's okay. It doesn't matter. All of those things, it doesn't matter to him because he's called you to something. Lord, please send somebody else. <laughs> nope, he's sending you. He's called you. He's called you. And he told Moses, you're going to do all these things to perform miracles. And it's not to bring glory to Moses. It's to bring glory to God in this process. So Luke chapter 9, Jesus Again, involved in this. Starting in verse 57, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I don't know if somebody's ever started dating somebody and you think that's the greatest person ever. I'm going to love you the rest of my life and I'm going to rub your feet. I'm going to massage your back. I'm going to comb your hair. Oh, I'm going to do all these things. I'm so in love with you. And all these things, you're committed 100% and then you start living it out and you're like, "Mm, mm, well, I won't rub your feet today. So there's these things that go on. So, you know, how we can make commitments or overcommit. But here we are in this, hey, Jesus, I'm going to go wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, he's not trying to be harsh or mean here. He's just saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be all in, because we can make all kinds of excuses. I'm telling you, Christianity is not just a walk in the park or just something that's like, oh, cool. Now, that get my box checked and I'm going to heaven. That's not what this is about. That's not what about living a life for Christ is. So he's saying it's going to require something from you. So he's asking of that of us, what are you going to do? you've got to get rid of the excuses, and when we 're able to get rid of the excuses, it, it frees us to advance, it's to move forward or to make progress, because we will not advance in our walk with the Lord when we continue to use excuses. God is calling us to advance according to His timing, because he, he's good at speaking to us, using our faith, believing God for provision for victory, to accomplish these things because We know that we aren't there. When he says, I'm asking you to do this, and we say, God, I just don't have what you want from me right now. I don't have what it takes. He said, don't worry. Take the steps. Start moving out. And he gives us what we need. He gives us provision. We have to lay excuses aside, and we need to be free to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim the good news. It's for all mankind. It's not just for me and not just for you. Numbers 13 verse 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This is the promised land that they went into. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. They have this massive fruit. But the people living here are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Malachites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. They started getting anxious. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. All the excuses were there. And Caleb steps up, Joshua Caleb, they come and say, nope, we can do this. What do you mean? Nope, God's, God's given us this promise. So we need to take that attitude that we can go in and conquer. Whatever the God has given us, we're going to go take the land. 2 Samuel 5, starting in verse 22. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. So David asked the Lord, "'Should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me?' The Lord replied to David, "'Yes, go ahead, and I will certainly hand them over to you.' So David went to Baal-Perazim and defeated the Philistines there. "'The Lord did it!' David exclaimed. "'He burst through my enemies like a raging flood.' So he named that place Baal-perazim, which means the Lord who bursts through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his men confiscated them. But after a while, the Philistines returned, and again, David spread out across the valley of Rephaim. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet on the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way to Gibeon and Gazer. It's a matter of when God speaks, we respond. Because David didn't come up with excuses. He just said he, he inquired of God, which we need to. We need to inquire of him. But when he speaks, we do it. We don't have to go through the excuses. The last one I want to cover this morning is selflessness. This one's a hard one. <laughs> Many of us are selfish. We were born selfish. Every one of us were born selfish. That's just our human nature. Basically concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself. Seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage, pleasure, or well-being without regard for others. Many times selfishness gets in the way of being kingdom-minded. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be self-minded and not kingdom-minded. We were born with this instinct fully developed. Selfishness often robs us of the blessing and the satisfaction that God wants to bring to us as a follower of Christ. Selfishness is not part of God's picture, of his his plan. I started thinking about this a little bit, about what salvation is for each one of us. And I think we've probably got it a little bit wrong. So I'm going to challenge this thought a little bit. Many times we're told, hey, you accept Christ so that you will have eternal life. That's expressed. It is true, but I don't believe that God's ultimate goal for us here on earth was just to get us that eternal salvation. That's a byproduct of saying yes to Jesus. But it can become very selfish when we say, okay, I have just... By saying yes to Jesus, I've canceled the assignment for me in hell and now I'm going to heaven. So that's my focus is just get there. It's to escape hell and go to heaven. Here's my thought on this. I believe that God's heart when he sent his son to die for our sins and to bring us into relationship with him, he did it with the idea that we were to impact the lives of others, not just for ourselves. He gave us the miracle of salvation, not just for us to hold on to and be selfish with that and just have excuses for everything else, but hey, I'm going to heaven. I believe his heart is for people. And so what he did in us wasn't just for us. Here's the thing, it's no longer about me when I say yes to Christ. (laughs) That's the tough part is to get rid of that selfish part because it's no longer about me. Now it's about others. I remember this song when when I was a little kid children's church, the song joy, Jesus, others, and you. Jesus, then others, then you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. And that was instilled in me as a child, but yet we're so much into us. It's all about me. I really believe God's heart is that he saved us so that we would be able to continue his plan to reach other people, to see them saved. Philippians 2 Starting in verse one, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. This is telling us right here, if you really do belong, if if you really are comforted by his love, if there's fellowship together in spirit, then agree Be happy, be joyful that we're working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. It's not that we don't care about ourselves and take care of ourselves, we do. But there's something about putting others ahead of ourselves, especially those who we know are not in relationship with Christ. That would be a good test to try tomorrow when you're going about your day. Lord, give me an opportunity to put somebody else in front of me or ahead of me. It might even be taking your parking spot. <laughs> That's just kind of a practical thing, but there's other things, and who knows what kind of conversations can be made of that. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 through says this, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. We're living in those days. There's a caution given. So if we're able to break down that wall of selfishness, then we become free to live in selflessness, placing someone else's need or concerns ahead of our own. What a great concept the greatest act of selfless love came at the cross. The greatest act. Giving his life so selfless. One who is perfect, had no faults. Who could have easily just said, nope, not doing this. I'm God, I'm out. But said no, because he could see the future. He could see us right here today. He said, I'm doing it for them. His life was void of any sin, any guile, and there was, there was nothing. So our willingness to put others before ourselves really opens up the abundance to flow into us and through us. Mm-hmm. Try serving somebody and see if you aren't truly blessed. Try it and see. Mark 12:41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in a temple. That's interesting. I was thinking about that. It would be kind of, in a sense, you would think, man, I've got to put money in. <laughs> Jesus is here watching this thing. So he sat near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts, and they probably wanted Jesus to see. Look, Jesus, putting all this in. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given given everything she has to live on. Wow. That's her commitment to being selfless and proving her relationship with God and her commitment to that. And then Luke 10, 29. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. These are religious people. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I think we're getting the picture today of these things that we're talking about that our life as Christians are not about us. It's easy just to say, oh Jesus, I love you so much, and, and, and sit in that place of, I just want to experience more of you, Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it's for a purpose that we're experiencing him. It's not for us just to say, oh, that felt good. I want that every day. I just want that for me. It's so that we are filled up with an abundance so that we can express and tell our story of who Jesus Christ is. The last verse, and you guys know this. John 3.16. This is just really what it's about. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You stand with me this morning. If God gave his only son, what are we willing to give? Lord, I just pray right now as we, near the end of our gathering this morning, God, that we would use some of the things we talked about this morning that would even get us out of that place where we've been a little comfortable. We've had those times of so many times for good reason of just feeling, hey, I just need me time. I just, I, I just, but God, I believe that you're just calling us to, to a higher level of service in your kingdom. Yes. Seeing beyond our own need. That you saved us, certainly to spend eternity with us, but there's more to it than that so that we can take what you've filled us and that you've given us and that you, we have experienced in you, your grace, your miracles, your love, your healings, that we could express that to, the, to others so that they could experience the things that we're experiencing. Give us servants' hearts. Take away the excuses. Get us out of a religious spirit let us see your grace and let us apply your grace and let it be grace flow through us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing the song as we conclude this morning. Certainly you can always come to the front uh, if you're here today and you just feel like, man, uh, I, I've sort of not been pursuing the things that God's asking me. Certainly you can come and, before the Lord, or maybe here today and you've never experienced fully the love of Christ. And he's here for you today to say yes to him because he did die on the cross for every person. So as we sing this song, certainly respond however the Lord prompts you in your heart. And I would encourage you to encourage others this morning. Maybe step out of your comfort zone a little bit. Whatever he's asking, we want to respond just like David did when he was asking God in that battle. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast.